Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Daniel Gumby-Vimian, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. We could not be more excited this weekend for UFC 269, Dustin Poirier versus Charles Oliveira, and of course Amanda Nunes versus Juliana Pena. We'll be breaking down those two fights as well as one other of our favorite main card fights as part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you an underdog in a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat this weekend. And let me tell you something, our underdogs plus two sick or 230 or better two weeks in a row, and we've got another doozy for you this week. Listen in and make sure you're making that money with us. Now, we've also got a couple of interviews for you. I'm going to be talking first to the number seven featherweight in the world, Josh Emmett, as he prepares for his big comeback fight against Dan Ige this weekend. And then I'll be talking to Eric Anders as he gets ready to fight super prospect Andre Muniz, who is looking to grapple his way into the top 15. And Eric Anders is looking to spoil that. So before we get to any of that great content for you, I got to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports better, providing insights analysis and free betting picks. It's like the YouTube for sports betting. Head on over to betterthan.vegas where you can browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities as they give you their thoughts on upcoming contests in every sport imaginable. In fact, if you head on over there, you can see mine and Shockwave's Dave bonus pick of the week each and every week, but you can only get it by following us on Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Josh Emmett, who fights Dan Ige at UFC 269. That fight is, of course, on December 11th. So, Josh, I wanted to start with this. Uh, Obviously, it's been a year and a half since we've seen you. Uh, Lots of people have talked to you about the injuries, the ACL, the MCL, the femur fracture. I I know that that's all been, you know, pretty much tackled so far in interviews, but I want to know a little bit about what your training and recovery has looked like over the last year and a half. Has it largely been recovery, or do you feel like you've gotten real time in the gym in that that span? Yeah, no, it's definitely been it's been both. You know, I, I was I was in physical therapy the day after my fight, and I haven't stopped uh, for a year and a half. And then, as well as you know, I I was back working with my boxing coach Joey Rodriguez as, as soon as I um, before I actually had the surgery. I had braces on. I, I was even after surgery, I was you know, sitting on a chair doing thing. I, I've been working the entire time and with my strength coach as well. Uh, the only thing that kind of had to be put on the back burner for, you know, a good, I don't even know, like six to eight months was, was like the wrestling and the jujitsu and things like that. Um, but yeah, I, I've been working the last year and a half. So I've got obviously a bunch of follow-ups to that, but I'm curious, you, you said you've been in PT that entire time. Has a lot of it been through the Performance Institute? Because I know I've seen you work in there as well, but I also know obviously you, you work with your boxing coach in California. Has it been entirely there or has it been elsewhere as well? Yes, it's really just been in Sacramento. The uh, the first 
let's see, the first two months after my fight, I, I stayed out in Vegas. My wife and I just, um, yeah, we got a hotel and, and, and lived the Vegas life for two months. And uh, I, I did tons of physical therapy with Heather Linden. Um, she was working on me twice a day. And then I was doing strength with Bo. Um, I just had a, for whatever reason, I, I'm not sure if I just didn't respond well to the surgery or it was the surgeon's fault. Um, but where they took the grass from, I had so many complications with that. So I had to come back to Sacramento and then a, a friend of mine and a doctor, he, he kind of led the way and helped me again, Dr. Panero, he, he helped me when I had all the, the facial fractures and all the vertigo and I had really no guidance from anybody or I, I had, I didn't know what to do. And he kind of took the lead on that and got me with a lot of like professionals and therapists and helped me overcome that. And then again, with the knee, he, uh, you know, we went in and did some stem cell stuff. He, he went into my SI joints and, you know, basically drilled in there with like a power tool. I'm not kidding. And, uh, extract, extracted the bone marrow and then we injected the the stem cells directly into my kneecap like straight through the kneecap and right into the patellar tendon and uh with that it started like the growth factors and started healing again after i want to say four or five months from the surgery so again without him i I don't know where i'd be because i really didn't have any guidance from anyone else man that that is absolutely brutal sounding so i obviously have to ask you know you're 36 years old now, correct me if I'm wrong, and this is a, a pretty gruesome-sounding injury. You just talked about somebody drilling through your kneecap to, to inject into your kneecap to get you know everything going back the way it should. Did it ever get to a point with you where it felt like this might not happen, or did, did it get to a point where you thought about, maybe I don't fight again? No, honestly, not really. It's Like with me, it's always like, you know, I honestly, with the age, like you say, I'm 36, I feel the best I've ever felt. And, and I got into, you know, the sport of MMA late, uh, much later than most. But now I have everything dialed in with like my, my doctors and my, my, you know, my chiropractors, my dietitians, um, everything like that. So like, I literally feel like the fastest, the strongest, the best I ever have. But yeah, I definitely had like, you know, like dark moments, I guess you could say, or whatever you want to call them. Um, when I was, I was responding so well right after the surgery and I, my goal was to come back and, and be the, the Adrian Peterson at MMA and, and fight within six months. But then, um, yeah, basically my, my kneecap just did not heal. I had a big fracture in my kneecap the whole time and my patellar tendon where they took the graft from was just completely torn. So, um, I was basically six months behind schedule. That's hence the, the, 18 month layoff instead of me coming back after a year. But yeah, I was having these like, you know, just thoughts. I'm like, cause I couldn't do anything for a while. And then it was getting worse. And I was like, man, am I ever going to get back to like the high level that I need to be at to perform like a everyday job, like working at a desk. Yeah, I, I could do that. But like, I need to, a lot of people don't understand the level that I had to get back to like from the outside people would see me doing things and I make it look easy and they're like, Oh, cause he has a good, he has a brand new knee. But I'm like, no, this is when I was like 50%, you know? Um, but, but now I'm back. So long road coming, but, uh, I'm excited to, you know, just put on the show December 11th. Absolutely. Now you, you mentioned in there too, that, that obviously you were able to do some boxing work. Like you said, sitting in a chair in braces or all, all kinds of other things. And obviously that's the part of your body that was not injured for the most part, right? So 
I have to ask, then, when they give you Dan Ige as a potential opponent, a guy who, you know, does a fair amount of wrestling, you know, he beat Edge and Barboza largely with his wrestling, was it, you know, a little bit upsetting that you got a grappling name at first, or were you just so happy to hear, you know, an opponent's name and a top 10 opponent in that? Yeah, not not at all. Like, Dan Ige is a tough guy. He's well-rounded. Um but yeah, it, it doesn't matter. I wasn't able to wrestle for the first like six to eight months, like I was saying, and grapple. But I, I have been, and and I've wrestled my whole life. A lot of people don't know I, I come from a wrestling background. I wrestled at the four year level. Um, that that's my strength. Like that's so. I trust me. I I can wrestle, and uh, he, he won't be a better wrestler than me. Well, I I love that mentality. Now, I did want to ask, too, the the state of the featherweight division has maybe changed a little bit. Now, you you said you've only been away for 18 months, but it it seems kind of different. There there seems to be a whole bunch of new names towards the top of the division. You got Giga Chikadze, who's arrived. You got Arnold Allen, who's kind of made his way to the top. And and some of the guys who were up there that you were beating to get to your number seven spot have kind of disappeared. What have you sort of thought in, like, watching the featherweight division develop while you've been kind of away from the game? Yeah, no, it's it's definitely. I think, uh, yeah, a lot of people that I fought, you know, they're they're like they're undefeated, or the next big thing, or on the, they're on like a two, three fight winning streak. And then I I feel like my wife and I have been saying this for a while. I feel like I'm the curse. If you look at everybody that everybody I fought, win or lose, um, yeah, that they're on this this big winning streak. And then after they fight me, like you can go to Sure Dog, it's like they just go on a complete skid. Um, so it, it, it is kind of crazy in that sense. But, yeah, no, the, the UFC has the best fighters in the world. Uh, everyone in the featherweight division is super talented. And then once you get to the top 20, the top 15, the top 10, five, it's just, uh, it's, it's just on another level. So, yeah, I, I've been a fan of the sport, and, and I've been seeing all these guys do well. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited, though, to get back in the mix and, uh, you know, kind of start off where I left off. Yeah, and let's talk about where you left off, too, because you are on a three-fight winning streak. You're ranked number seven in the division. You, you said, you know, the guys in the top five are, are real legit. You are not that far away from there. Perhaps even a win over Dan Ige this weekend could put you in that list of, of top five guys and guys who are in the mix for a title. H- have you sort of thought about how close this win puts you to that ultimate goal of realizing a UFC title? Yeah, hundred percent. And it, it, that's my ultimate goal. You know, I, I, I'm fighting because I want to be a world champion. I'm, I'm striving towards that goal every single day. And that's what kind of motivates me to get up and keep working even with my, my age, you know, but Dan Ige, he's, he's been active. He's fought the best guys in the world. He's coming off two main event fights and, you know, he, he, he's, he's a durable guy. So I, I can go out there and make a statement and, um, you know, I could be right back in the mix because everybody in front of me, they've all kind of fought each other. There's only a few guys that haven't fought the champion and fought these other fighters. But, you know, I was ranked at one point in my career. I was ranked fourth in the division. You know, I, I beat the number three ranked guy and leapfrogged the entire division back in 2017. I had one minor setback and then I've been working my way up to the top again. So, um, yeah, I feel like a, a big statement, a big win over Dan Ige. You never know with timing and everything in the UFC if someone gets injured and I can pop in or if Dana White is is happy with my performance and I'm healthy. That's the only thing uh, that's kind of set me back in the past. You, you really never know. 
and you mentioned in there the the term popping back in there, you know, getting in there quick if if they need a late minute replacement. Do you, do you feel like, given that you spent so much time out of the cage, that you are eager to, you know, take last second replacement fights or get right back in there time after time to to make up for lost time? Yeah, hundred percent. I I I've always my entire career on the regional scene. I as long as I'm healthy, I'll fight every two months. I'll, I want to fight as much as possible. I want to be as active as possible. Um, you know, especially with like good matchup. I I, I feel like I. You know, I I feel I have a good four or five years left in my career, but I really feel like I have, you know, a good, like, year and a half to two years to make a run at the title, just how, how good I feel. Um, so, yeah, as long as it's a good matchup and, uh, or a high-ranked opponent, yeah. I, I've never, you know, strayed away from a, a good opportunity, and I never will. Well, that's great to hear. Now, of course, the the next great opportunity is this fight with Dan Ige, and I'd like to ask all my fighters before I let him go for a prediction. How do you see this one going down on December 11th? Just like every fight, it's hard for me to, you know, predict exactly how the fight's going to go, but I'm, I've showed time and time again that I'm willing to go whatever as long as I get my hand raised, and I will get my hand raised on December 11th, whether it's by KO, TKO, submission, or decision, I will get my hand raised. Well, we are looking forward to seeing it. And once again, fans, this is Josh Emmett, who fights Dan Ige at UFC 269 on December 11th. Josh, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Cool. Thanks for having me on, Dan. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Josh Emmett. I, once again, am Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined now by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, let's start here. Uh, Jose Aldo looked like WEC Jose Aldo over last weekend. He absolutely put it on rob font on a scale from one to ten you are how surprised i am like an eight surprised i really kind of wrote him off in the past few years where i thought he would just be passable maybe a gatekeeper type role he looks like he could be in championship form he found the fountain of youth he found the magic acai berry. I don't know how he's doing it. <laughs> Rocket fuel. But what can we say? He certainly has technical prowess to match whatever physical thing he's doing. He's looking great. Yeah, I mean, he looked amazing. And I, I know that there are a lot of people out there who've who've said the same thing, who've, who've submitted that perhaps he might have a little bit of assistance. But... I would also just say this, like, it has taken him a while to acclimate to 135. And while his first couple of performances at 135 didn't look good, we should also consider just who they were against. Uh, I mean, he lost a split decision to Marlon Marias, uh, and then followed it up by getting Piotr Jan. Um, which, like, so those two losses, while they looked really bad at the time, and we were like, man, this 135 experiment is stupid... He's now won three straight at Bantamweight and, like, beat the hell out of a contender. I mean, like, he called for TJ Dillashaw. I'm here to watch it. I mean, like, if if your assumption is that Aldo's cheating, who better to put him in there than with somebody who we actually for sure know is a cheater? That's That's a great point, and I do agree with you. I mean, on one hand, if you want to tell me it's all Natch, all right, fine. God bless him. He's one of the all time greats. Uh, on the other hand, I have an eye test. And listen, we're just a couple of girls talking in a locker room here. This man's traps and lats, they just look juicy to me. He's just so muscular. 
and it looks like someone literally stuck an air pump in him and pumped up his muscles. So that's just me. What do I know? But hey, whether it's natural, not natural, it's just like Barry Bonds. There was talent there. The steroids helped him hit a million home runs. He would have hit 990,000 even without the steroids. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, uh, again, it's it's sort of, uh, again, people have accused him of what they've accused him of. I'm not quite sure what I, I think I see or what I think I think. But at this point in time, we almost have to take him at his word. And in the meantime, I'm going to enjoy a whole bunch of his fights at Bantamweight because, hey, he looks like another contender there, and that division is already swimming with him. Well, I'll tell you what we're going to be swimming in. It's joy because it's UFC 269 this weekend, and we get to do our favorite segment on the show, Fights, dogs, parlays, breaking down the fights, giving you a couple of live dogs and a parlay to play. And I'm so excited by our sponsor for this segment because it goes hand in hand with gambling like peanut butter and jelly. Rub it together. It's going to taste good in your mouth. Gumby, who sponsors this edition of Fights, Dogs and Parlays? Fight Stocks and Parlays is brought to you by Double Nickels Sports Betting. You can check out Nickels over on Instagram at 55doublenickels.55. My guy will send you five picks each and every morning, ranging from NBA, NHL, MLB, and of course, MMA picks. And I'm not lying when I say that he hits almost five every single day. And if not, he's hitting four of them. So unlike those other guys who are trying to get you to follow their picks, he's giving you more than just that. Nichols hits you with tips and insights that consistently put him in front of the game. If you don't believe me, you might be alone on that because nearly 27,000 people are following him right now. And with prices that never exceed 10 bucks a day and as low as 4 bucks a day, there's really no reason not to give him a try. Plus, if you mention our podcast, when you sign up, he'll hit you with a 10% discount. Don't delay. That's at five five double nickels five five on Instagram. Double nickel sports writing brings you this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Ooh, I love it. Double nickels. All right, let's get on with the main event, and it's a banger. You got Dustin Poirier, the minus one sixty favorite, fighting Le Champion Charlie Olives, who's a plus one forty dog. Where are these guys coming from? Well, Charlie Olives has a very nice win streak in the UFC, got himself into title contention, and then just beat the brakes off of the corpse of Tony Ferguson, and then beat Michael Chandler for the vacated title after Khabib retired. Charlie Olives is peaking, but so also is Dustin Poirier. The one-time 145-er has found a home at 155, and he just has happened to beat the biggest name in the sport, maybe not the best name, but the biggest name, he has murked Conor McGregor, put him to sleep, it turned into a meme, a gif, it broke the internet, and then in the rematch, he ended up breaking Conor's ankle. Well, I guess I should say Conor broke his own ankle, but it seemed as though the fight was headed more or less the same way. I, it's tough to say that, it was only around, but let's just say Dustin Poirier has had Conor McGregor's number, He's in this title picture. This has so many fun implications in where we go from here. Is Gaethje get, getting the next shot? What does Gaethje versus Charlie Olives look like? Gaethje Poirier, we've seen it before. It was great. What about if uh, Makhchev wins? There are just so many things going on here. What if Darush upsets Makhachev? There's so much fun stuff at the top of 155. And gosh, do I hope Khabib unretires and just murks all these people. But that being said, who you got here, Charlie Olives and Dustin the Diamond Poirier? 
I'm actually going to go with the champion slash underdog in Charles Oliveira. Uh, the reason I like Charles Oliveira is I think that constant threat of the grappling changes this game a lot. Um, I, I know a lot of people talk about his jiu-jitsu game. He is phenomenal on the mats. He's great at his submissions. But he's actually low-key become kind of good at wrestling, too. Uh, and not that he wasn't early in his career, but he's come exceptionally good lately. He took down Tony Ferguson in every single round and not only took him down, but controlled him there, armbarred him to the point where I'm pretty sure Tony Ferguson had damage to his elbow. And and then we also saw him take down Michael Chandler. And granted, at the end of that round, he was having a little bit of trouble with Michael Chandler, but he took him down. And I really do believe that that's sort of what led to the knockout in the second round was Michael Chandler being a little bit weary of that takedown threat again. He had Michael Chandler's back. He was ready to submit Michael Chandler in the first round. And Chandler didn't want to go back there. And as a result, you see him moving back more. And he gets starched in the process of doing that. So, I, I granted, you know, Dustin Poirier, probably a better boxer than Michael Chandler. You know, not maybe not the pure power puncher, but probably a better boxer. But I still don't know that that makes me confident that he is going to stuff every single takedown that comes his way. And stay off of his back. And and really, that's what's been Charles Oliveira's bread and butter since he got on this amazing run. So I'm going to go with the underdog. I'm going to say Charles Oliveira retains his title here. And man, does that open up a whole bunch of fun, fresh matchups if he does. I love Charlie Olives as a pick. I'm picking him as well for all the reasons you listed. I think his striking has become almost underrated at the same time, too. Poirier, also very good striking. But I think the number on him and being as, you know, a pretty solid favorite is coming off of the Connor wins, which I don't put much stock in at this point. Ever since, I, I would say, the Eddie Alvarez fight where Connor took a year off and did boxing and then came back and got murked by Khabib, somewhere in that 2017-2018 range, Connor ceased being an MMA top-flight star and became a millionaire who and uh, a whiskey mogul who occasionally fought. So to me, I put very little stock in what Poirier did to Conor McGregor. And I get that McGregor could still be dangerous on most days, but I just find that the number on Poirier is inflated off the Conor wins. I like Charlie Olives here. I think it's a great pick. Now, here's a favorite that is a real favorite. And it's Amanda Nunes, an 850 favorite, defending her title against Juliana Pena, the plus 575 dog. Uh, Nunes is coming off a billion wins in a row over the likes of legends like Misha Tate, Ronda Rousey, Chris Cyborg, but most recently Megan Anderson uh, at 145. Juliana Pena coming off a win over Sarah McMahon, if I'm not mistaken. Nothing really exciting there. Uh, probably a one-time prospect who went away for a while, has come back and looked okay to good, but I don't know that she's ever reached her full potential. Is this the weekend she reaches her full potential? Is she the one to upset the GOAT? What do you think? Hell no. <laughs> like, like as, as kind as I am to Juliana Pena, and she is a friend of the show, we've had her on before, I, you just can't give me a reasonable path to Juliana Pena winning this fight, right? She's not going to do it with her hands. There's literally no way she does it with her hands. Holly Holm couldn't do it with her hands. Uh, Cyborg couldn't do it with her hands. Juliana Pena sure as shit can't get it done with her hands. So you're going to tell me she's going to outgrapple Amanda Nunes. Now, Amanda Nunes, way stronger than her, better wrestler than her. And I would just add, 
Are we all forgetting that this is the Juliana Pena who got submitted by Jermaine Durandamy, noted kickboxer uh, and person who hates grappling? Like, I, look, I, I get that Juliana Pena is good on the ground, but it's not the same world as Amanda Nunez. I think she rolls here easily. If you don't like spending money at the negative 850 mark, start to look for some props that she gets it done early. Um, you know, maybe she gets it done with a submission. Maybe that's a fun prop to play. But ultimately, there's nothing on that line, uh, Juliana Pena, near plus 600 that even slightly entices me. I hear you. Well, let's see if you're, and I agree with you. I Let's see if you're enticed by this. Kaikar of France is a plus 150 dog to Cody Garbrandt, who's making his flyweight debut at 170. Kaikar of France has been on a bit of a win-one-lose-one streak. He's had a couple of performance of the nights in there, a fight of the night. Extremely fun fighter, welcoming the former 135-pound champ and Garbrandt to 125. We saw TJ have a lot of trouble with that cut down to 125. Garbrandt seems like he's thicker than a Snickers when it comes to people that typically fight at 135. I mean, he looks bigger to me than TJ was. What do you think of his cut down here, and do you like him enough to take the strong favorite odds he's getting? Uh, To to quote myself when we broke down the last fight, hell no. Um, I I don't know why anybody would be interested in taking Cody Garbrandt at, at negative money here. And, and it's, that's not saying you can't predict that Cody Garbrandt is going to win the fight, or you can't say that Cody Garbrandt is the person you would like to, to you know, wager on the side of, but just not at this price, right? Because he is a pretty large favorite here. We're saying he's a bigger favorite than a lot of people on this card. And, and to be honest, I, I'm just really worried about what that cut does. Like you said, it was terrible for TJ Dillashaw. He got knocked out immediately we've seen the pictures of Cody Garbrand he looks like a skeleton it doesn't look like a cut that makes any sense for his body frame and Kaikara France is a really fast really powerful striker we saw him on the ultimate fighter knock some people out he's coming off of a knockout win over Rogerio Bontarine and really the only people who have beaten him at flyweight are people who can wrestle him up Brandon Moreno Brandon Royval two of the best fighters in this division so yeah, if I'm looking to bet this fight in any kind of way, I'm on Kaikara France at this plus money because I almost think it's a coin flip. Um, you know, if Cody Garbrand comes in and looks like, you know, vintage bantamweight Cody Garbrand, I think he wins this fight. But putting negative 170 money on that hope seems crazy. Well, we've already outlined how we like a couple of dogs here on the main card, but we have an official dog of the week, and it's neither Charlie Olives nor the Kaikara France. Uh, Gumby, why don't you spoiler alerted for us? Our dog of the week is a plus 260. Who is it? It's Haleon Paiva. Uh, I'm picking Haleon Paiva over Sugar Sean O'Malley, and that may come as a shock to some people, um, uh, because I, I do really like Sean O'Malley. I think Sean O'Malley is quite damn good. He's probably better than people even, well, some people give him credit for because he's unranked right now. But that being said, Raleon Paiva has been doing the damn thing for a little while now. He he is on a three-fight winning streak, two fights at, at flyweight. He came up to Bantamweight, and not only did he look good at Bantamweight, he looked amazing at Bantamweight. This is a guy who's doing the opposite of Cody Garbrandt, and he is looking better in the process. What I love about him against Sean O'Malley is not only does he have some quick and fast striking, does he throw good leg kicks, can he probably be durable enough to stand toe-to-toe with Sean O'Malley? But he can mix in the wrestling, too. I, I think people sleep on how good he is at taking the back. Um, he did an excellent job of that against Kyler uh, Phillips, who is a teammate of Sean O'Malley. So, 
Yeah, I think he's going to mix it up enough to keep Sean O'Malley guessing. I think we see a little bit of that hole in the weakness of Sean O'Malley's grappling game. And my goodness, we have hit plus 230 or better two weeks in a row. So why not trust us for week number three? Well, trust us on our parlay to play, too, because it's tied to Ivasa, a minus 110, and Josh Emmett, a minus 220. Pair them together, get you plus 175 odds. Let's hear it. So look, Tai Tuivasa is an easy pick for me. He's he's a pick em fight against Augusto Sakai. And for me, I'm putting him in a lot of parlays. And the reason being is that Augusto Sakai been knocked out two times in a row by power punchers. Uh, both Yair Rosenstrike and Alistar Overeem got him with big punches. Now you're going to put him in there with another guy who's a power puncher and has won three straight fights by knockout. I mean, like, it, it writes itself, right? It's going to be the third straight knockout for Sakai on the bad side and the fourth straight knockout for Tai Tuivasa on the good side. I, I think it's a no-brainer. Josh Emmett, friend of the show, I also love here at negative 220 because, look, Danny Gay does not beat a lot of people who he can't out-wrestle. Josh Emmett, great wrestling background, much bigger, much stronger than Danny Gay. The only reason I don't think he's a bigger favorite is all of the injuries we talked about that he had dealt with. But like you heard him say in the interview, the dude is back to 100%. He's been back to 100% for about nine months so he could polish up everything along with that knee. And now I think he's just going to stuff the takedowns of Danny Gay and put it on him on the feet. So, Ty Vasa, Josh Emmett, give me that plus 175. Boom! Well, we hope you enjoyed this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays as much as we enjoyed bringing it to you. Gumby, we of course will be live this weekend during the fights at Top Turtle MMA. Follow along with us. Let us know if we did you right. Let us know if we did you dirty with these picks. Well, the the train is moving down the tracks, Gumby. Where are we going next on our show? Well, we're going to transition now to my interview with your boy, Eric Anders, as he gets ready for his fight this weekend coming up against highly touted prospect Andre Muniz. But before we get to that interview, I do want to mention that this episode, or this interview rather, is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and oh so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social, wherever it is you download apps. Maroon Social brings you this interview with Eric Anders. All right, and joining me today is Eric Anders, who fights Andre Muniz at UFC 269. That's on this Saturday, December 11th. So, Eric, before I get you into the questions about that fight, which is an exciting one, I obviously got to ask you, we're fresh off of seeing Bama get into the college football playoff. They beat Georgia this week. They get the number one. Give us a a quick score prediction. How how much are they beating Cincinnati by in the first round? Uh, You know, I think Bama shines the best at the end of the season and at the – during the playoffs, so, you know, uh, Cincinnati's come a long way. They've had a great season, but uh, I don't think that they have the firepower to match with uh, match Bama. So, man, you're probably looking at a lot to a little. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Now, let's switch it over to the MMA side. Now, I, I want to ask you about a change that you made in late 2020, early 2021, because you switched over to doing some of your fight camps at Fight Ready MMA. Uh, you're undefeated. You look great since then. Uh, what do you feel like works best for you there compared to where you had previously been doing camps and how they were usually set up? Um, man, you know, Eddie Charles is a big part of the, the, you know, my progression. You know, him and Santino DeFranco, 
You know, they've coached championship fights. They've coached championship caliber fighters. Um, they got great training partners. They bring training partners in. The game plan is always great. Um, and they're, they're just, uh, you know, advancing my career, like developing skill sets and, you know, along with the strength and conditioning coach, Chad E.K., you know, it's a hard formula to beat. I like it a lot. Now, you, you mentioned the name Eddie Chan there, who's obviously known best for his striking instruction and that being his, his big forte. Is that really the area that you've seen that you've made the most growth in moving over there? You feel like, you know, like his his work with your striking has perhaps made the biggest leaps um, man, I, I, I would say it's a, it's a combination of everything, fight IQ, striking. Um, I think they've made me a better athlete um, and I have a higher fight IQ. You know, my grappling has gotten better. My striking has obviously gotten better. My movement has gotten better. I'm more explosive, faster, um, just a total package. So you mentioned in there strength and conditioning, too, and I, I understand that obviously strength and conditioning is a big part of the game, but also you're back at middleweight and you seem like you have a permanent home there again after spending some time at light heavyweight. Is that true? Is, is this definitely a permanent home, and is having a strength and conditioning coach kind of what led to that, too? Um, I've always, you know, bounced back and forth, and, you know, I'll, I'll fight at middleweight uh, if that's what the UFC asked me to do. You know, uh, or light heavyweight, that's what the UFC asked me to do. Um, the other reason why I fought at light heavyweight the last fight is because Darren Stewart wanted to fight at light heavyweight instead of middleweight. And, you know, I was happy to oblige. So it's it's one of those things for you that you, you're not really picking your, your path here. You, you don't really care 185, 205, whatever the path the UFC wants and get you to the title or get you to the top of the division as fast as possible. That That's what you're looking at? I mean, yeah, I prefer to fight a middleweight, but, you know, sometimes these short notice, like heavyweight opportunities present themselves, and, you know, it's an opportunity for me to cash me a check. may not necessarily do anything for me in the rankings and things like that, but, you know, I'm here to get paid as well. I love it. Now, uh, let's ask you a little bit about this fight with Andre Muniz, because you mentioned... You feel like the work at Fight Ready has kind of changed you into a more complete fighter. You feel good about your grappling. Obviously, Andre Muniz is an amazing grappler. He's coming off a submission win over a legend in Jacare. What do you think about how your ground skills match up with Muniz? Um, I think my ground skills are highly underrated by everybody in the UFC and, you know, fans just because, you know, I'm a, I'm a banger. You know, I like to throw hands, so I don't really the fight really don't go to the ground. And when it does, uh, in my fights, I'm looking to ground the pound more so than than submission. But you know, when I get guys on the ground, you really don't see them getting up too much, you know, um, or allow them a whole lot of room and space to to move, which is something I don't think a lot of people take into account. You know, I've also never been submitted uh, in my professional career, and just once in my amateur career, so. Now you're looking at close to 50 fights, and I've never, I've only been submitted once. So, you know, obviously, uh, Muniz is, is probably the, the highest caliber grappler um, that I've faced. But um, at the same time, you know, I welcome the, the what do you call it, the, 
opportunity to solve the problem that is Andre Muniz and, and go out there and get a win over a high-caliber uh, opponent. I love it. Now, you mentioned that you're, you feel like your grappling is pretty underrated, and, and some of it is just that, you know, obviously fans and, and people haven't seen it as much as they've seen your striking. Is, is there a reason why you love to lean on your striking more than, than grappling? You, you don't go to your wrestling and you don't go to your ground and pound more often? Man, the the striking is what gets you paid, man. You know, <laughs> across the board, if you look at the highest paid fighters, um, man, you'd probably find that most of them are strikers and guys who are knocking people out. So, yeah, of course, I'm always aiming to, to finish fights and whatnot, but, you know, um, I just favor the hands. It's what I like to do. I like to throw them. I like to hit people. And, uh, you know, they don't last too long when I do. Well, I, I certainly love that. Now, I usually like to ask people before I end interviews with them for a prediction. I feel like you just kind of tipped your hand a little bit. How, how do you see this one ending with Andre Muniz on uh, December 11th? Uh, I don't think it's any question, man. I'm going to go out there and uh, try and put hands on him and, you know, get him out of there as soon as possible. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This was Eric Anders, who fights Andre Muniz at UFC 269. That fight is on this Saturday, December 11th. Eric, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure, brother. Anytime. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social, Better Than Vegas, and, of course, Double Nickels Sports Betting. Make sure to follow him at 55DoubleNickels55 on Instagram. And make sure, while you're following social media, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Top Turtle MMA. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gubby Vreeland. He is Shockwave Dave Tremonte. We will catch you then.